I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Thank you for listening to More Christianity. More Christianity is the book I've written to share the Catholic faith with evangelical Christians. You might know that I was brought up in an evangelical home, and I have a passion to share the fact that Catholicism is not something different, it's something more. And so we go through the different doctrines of the Catholic faith and explain them to evangelicals in a friendly way, not saying, we're right, you're wrong, but affirming everything which is good about their sincere devotion to Jesus Christ, but summoning them to come further up and further in and to share in the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. More Christianity is available to purchase from my website, DwightLongenecker.com. Go there and look for that and take a minute to browse my other books as well. And now, let's get started with more Christianity. Welcome to More Christianity. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, your host for this half hour. We have here on More Christianity every week a different guest. Sometimes we discuss music, architecture, literature, blogging, writing, conversion stories. A different guest always sharing with us their enthusiasm for the Catholic faith and what they're doing to help to promote and live that faith in the world today. My guest today is Catholic blogger and author, a journalist and uh, writer, Dawn Eden. Dawn, welcome to More Christianity. Thanks so much, Father. It's great to be on. Dawn, just looking back on your background and your biography, it's such an interesting story. Being born into a Reformed Jewish household, you eventually make your way uh, into the world of journalism, and you're meeting rock stars, and you're writing for fanzines, and you're writing on the history of, of rock and roll and the history of popular music. Tell us, before we move on to your Christian commitment, just a little bit about Reformed Jewish household. What does that mean? We're talking to non-Jewish people here. Can you help to explain that? Well, Reform Judaism arose in the 19th century and is a liberal branch of Judaism, the most liberal observance branch. And my grandparents and great-grandparents lived the faith more devoutly. Uh, The faith had gotten watered down by the time it reached my parents, But it was still important to my parents that I have contact with my Jewish heritage. Mm -hmm. So although my mother and father split up when I was five, they both agreed that I should take religious education classes at our local temple and that I should be a bat mitzvah, which is the the ceremony, bat mitzvah for a girl, Mm -hmm. um, bar mitzvah for a boy, where at the age of about 13, the child is recognized as an adult in the Jewish faith. Did it make any sense to you as you were an early adult, or did you just sort of drift away from that? I drifted away from it for a number of reasons. You know, it's so important if parents want children to retain their faith, that the parents incorporate faith into their daily life. Mm not just by perfunctory meal prayers, not that meal prayers in truth are perfunctory, but it's important for parents to incorporate prayer and to talk about God's providence in daily life and to talk about how our personal decisions every day should be centered around love of God, love of neighbor. Had I grown up in a more observant 
Jewish household, I would have had this foundation. As it was, although my parents were by no means atheists, they were serious about their faith as much as it went. I didn't really have the sense that faith was part of daily life. I had the sense that it was bracketed off to um, just temple observances and perfunctory mealtime mm-hmm. prayers or Shabbat prayers. So as a teen, uh, you're, you're growing, you're changing, you have all kinds of hormonal changes. And unless you have a strong foundation, it's very easy to be uh, taken up with the religion of the culture, which is really a kind of functional atheism. Although I never believed for certain that God didn't exist, I did, from my teens on, act as if God didn't exist. So you are growing up with a Jewish background, uh, as you say, drifting into a kind of practical kind of atheism, and you're getting involved in the exciting world of popular music, writing and interviewing, I guess, rock stars and popular music stars. That must have been an exciting world for you. Well, it was. I certainly loved music, and I particularly became taken with 60s pop music, and especially the obscure kinds of 60s pop. When I was growing up after my parents' divorce, my mother became interested in the hippie kind of lifestyle that she had missed out on in the 60s and early 70s when she was married to my dad. So my mother had these albums by hippie-era bands such as Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So when I started to get into music, I wanted to get into music that wasn't my mother's music. And so I actually went back further to the British Invasion era and the the mod era and the era of obscure, one-hit wonder, American psychedelic and garage artists. And what I found was that not only was this music interesting to me, but it was an area where I could gain some expertise mm-hmm. and that there was this hip kind of underground subculture that was as fascinated by this era of music as I was. So I was able to, to fashion a kind of a career for myself, not, not terribly lucrative, but still I was able to make a name for myself among record collectors as a 60s pop historian. And once the CD era came around in the 1990s, when I was in my early 20s, I was able to get in on that very early on by writing the liner note booklets to CD reissues of artists such as Harry Nilsson and Del Shannon and Gene Pitney. And I was able to interview the original artists, which was a wonderful experience. After about 10 to 15 years working in journalism, especially in rock journalism, you moved from agnosticism, practical atheism that you explained, to having a born-again experience. You became a committed Christian. Was that within the realm of uh, the evangelical world? Initially, yes. And initially, if I called myself anything, I called myself an evangelical. And as I say in my book, My Peace, I Give You, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints, I was suffering from a terrible suicidal depression mm-hmm. through my teens and my and my twenties, which I now know was undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, the post-traumatic stress disorder was brought about by sexual abuse mm-hmm. perpetrated against me after my parents' separation. I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and my guest today is blogger and author Dawn Eden. Dawn, 
you wrote a book with the, the intriguing title, The Thrill of the Chaste, Finding Fulfillment While Keeping Your Clothes On, discussing how you discovered the virtue of chastity. I've read both books, that book and your second book, My Peace, I Give You Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints. I saw them, the two of them as going hand in hand. You know, they really did complement each other. I want to come back to your other experiences in just a minute, but in that first book, The Thrill of the Chaste, what were you trying to say to your audience? In The Thrill of the Chaste, I was a new convert to Christian faith, and I had found that as a new convert who was not a virgin, it was very hard for me to find literature that explained what chastity was and how it is lived mm-hmm. and how a person who has not been chased can convert their life. Right. And so once I had learned what the church teaches about chastity and had begun to incorporate the church's teachings in my life, I wanted to write the kind of book that I wished had been there for me. Because until then, all the books on chastity were books on teen purity, which may be helpful for teens, but can make a person in their 30s feel kind of depressed. (laughs) Well, what message do you give then, Dawn, to people who are in their 20s and 30s who have not lived a chaste life and who are now saying to God, you know, God, I'm longing for purity again. I'm longing for another start. I'm longing to rebuild a life which has the thrill of the chase, to use your great title. Well, the reason why anyone would even consider chastity if they've not always been chaste is the hope of a happier life. There certainly are religions other than Christianity that teach that sexual contact should be reserved for marriage. The fullness of chastity and what it means is seen only in the light of Christ, and it's experienced through someone who is personally encountered Christ. Mm -hmm. So if you've encountered Christ, then you know that Jesus wants you to be happy, and that God's laws are not just arbitrary rules imposed from outside, but that God's law is meant to operate within you through the new law of the, the grace of Christ, who's in union with you through your baptism. Even though chastity can be painful transitioning to it, because one uh, gets used to seeking pleasure a certain way, and making the adjustment involves depriving yourself of certain pleasures that you're used to, ultimately there's something greater than pleasure that is joy. And our Catholic faith teaches, uh, it's Catechism 1000, that or our reception of the Eucharist is the beginning of our own transfiguration that will be fully completed in heaven. And so living chastely is part of that experience of the beginning of our transfiguration. You know, Dawn, my blog over at Pathios is called Standing on My Head, and it's called that because of a quote of G.K. Chesterton's that a scene is very often more clearly seen when it is seen upside down. What you've just expressed there is such a radical and upside-down way of looking at the world because here everything in our our society is telling us that sexual pleasure is the be-all and end-all, advertisements for clothing and for cars and for drink and for just about everything is loaded with sexual innuendo, television programs, movies, tell us over and over and over again, sexual activity, as much of it and as freely as possible, is what's really going to bring you bliss and happiness. 
And your book was just fantastic because you were writing from experience and saying, you know, it ain't necessarily so. There is a greater bliss and a greater happiness which lies within chastity. You then go on and uh, publish my piece, I Give You Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints. And in that book, as you've hinted, you're recounting the sexual abuse you suffered as a child and some of the echoes that remained into adulthood. Do you think that the sexual abuse and the very free sexual atmosphere of your home as a child Do you think that in any way led you to some of the, shall I call, sexual searching that went on when you were then a teenager and a a young adult? Oh, absolutely. And I I appreciate your trying to find diplomatic language to describe what I was doing. I would say that I was self-medicating because I was really seeking love, seeking affirmation, but doing so by giving myself away. Mm -hmm. And that comes from having incorporated the lies that I had grown to believe from my abuse. Mm -hmm. Every human being's identity is first and foremost as a beloved son or daughter of God the Father. That is who we are, and and we are children of God in Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's how we find ourselves. But what abuse does is it makes the child think that he or she is not a child of a loving father in heaven, but rather that he or she is just an object to be used. Right. And so I thought that I was valuable not for who I was, but only for what I did. And that led me to a kind of behavior that I now know is called dissociation. Mm It's a frequent effect of post-traumatic stress, particularly among people who suffered abuse, mm-hmm. feeling that I had to create a false self to protect myself because inside I felt like this vulnerable, exposed child. Yes. In my piece I give you, I have greater insight in seeing that these were efforts to in some way gain control by acting sexually aggressive because I thought that if men were going to use me, then I could at least control how they used me. Now, of course, as you can imagine, you know, there's a terrible irony in that by advertising myself sexually, thinking that I was gaining more control, I was only attracting predators, people who would use me. One of the interesting studies I read some time ago, Dawn, was about kindergarten children and how they reacted to a friend, a peer member who was injured. They saw that when a little kindergartner would fall down on the playground and and scrape her knee, some children would run over and offer sympathy and help. Other children stood aloof and indifferent from the injured um, friend. But the most intriguing thing was a third group of children, when they saw the suffering of, of one of their peers, would go up and hit the person. They studied this remarkable phenomenon, and happily it was only a few children who did this, The children who hit the other child when they were hurt were children who were themselves being hit at home. Those children who were being hit at home, they knew that mommy and daddy or stepdaddy and stepmother or whoever are supposed to love them, but they hit them. Therefore, they associated love with hitting. You can see the same thing applied to sexual abuse, where if a child is abused sexually, by the people who are supposed to offer them unconditional, non-sexual love, Mm -hmm. they then associate all affection with sexuality. That's very interesting, and it makes a lot of sense. 
I just got back from speaking at the Conference of the Courage Apostolate, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great and faithful apostolate for men and women who uh, have same-sex attractions, and it's got a sister organization, Encourage, to help parents of children who mm-hmm. have self-identified as quote-unquote gay. In going to the Courage Conference, I spoke with a number of the members of Courage. Now, as you know, it says in the Catechism, we don't know what causes same-sex attractions. We can't assign it all to one thing. But many people who are struggling with these attractions spoke about certain dysfunctional behaviors that were taking place in their home, abuse or other forms of dysfunction, and that they came to associate these abusive or dysfunctional behaviors with love. Mm -hmm. We have to remember the child is learning what love is all about. He or she is learning what love is about from the people who they know instinctively are supposed to love them, essentially their mother, their father, their grandparents, the elders, their aunts and uncles. And now if those people abuse them sexually and use them sexually, they then go on to associate love and affection with sexuality. And this is why sexual abuse so often breeds more sexual abuse. Sexual abuse very often breeds more promiscuity and so forth because those connectors for a child and trying to learn what love is, they go wrong. They themselves have have been abused and they don't function the right way. This is not to excuse promiscuity and bad choices, of course. As a priest in the confessional, items of the biggest shame and grief and guilt that people come with are, of course, the sexual sins. And so often I feel compassion towards them because I realize that so often people are driven by forces and dysfunctional events and so forth from very early in their life, which they didn't have control over. And again, this is not to excuse people and and say it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter, but it is to say that God understands that there are very often deep driving forces which help to condition the choices that we make. Do you find that was something that was happening in your life? Oh, yes, very much so. And actually just uh, three short points about what you just said. Number one, what you've described is yet more evidence that the church is right to insist on the family, husband, wife, and children as the primary cell of society, that the marriage of a man and and a woman is the safest place for a child to grow up. Number two, it's very important when people do hear these news stories about abusers who were abused themselves to know that there is not by any means a 100% correlation Mm -hmm. between being abused and being an abuser. Very often, actually, people are afraid to report that they've suffered abuse because they're afraid that then they'll be ostracized as someone who is likely to abuse. And that's absolutely not true. In fact, the people who are most likely to abuse are the people who don't get help Mm -hmm. for having suffered abuse. The people who are in total denial, Mm -hmm. they're the ones who are most at risk of abusing. The people who get help are the ones who are least likely to inflict evil on, on others. And the third point which is so important, and this is really the topic of my book, my piece I give you, is that healing is possible and that no matter what human means we may use, and certainly we're body and soul, so getting psychological or medical help can be part of healing, but whatever human means we use, 
all healing is ultimately through Christ, the divine physician. And when we learn about the life of Christ and the lives of the saints, we're able to place our own sufferings within the sufferings of the mystical body and likewise find our own healing and resurrection. And this is what your book brings out so beautifully, your book, My Peace, I Give You. You weave in these different saints who, if they were not sexually abused, they were abused psychologically, they were abused physically, and they lived through it, and they rose above it through the power of Christ, the healing power of Christ, yeah. and the, and the grace of God. And the book is so full of hope, Dawn, because it says to the readers, it says to us, look, although you might have these shadows in your past, you might have these dark skeletons in the cupboard, you have these deep traumas maybe buried right in your ancestry as well as in your, your own family, God can go back there and heal that. There is healing of the yeah. memories. There is healing and reconciliation. The saints showed that they triumphed over it through the saints that you quote and refer to showed they triumphed over it through God's grace and Christ's healing. Uh, and so it's possible for us. I think you've probably read my book, Praying the Rosary for Inner Healing, which also connects in with the mysteries of the rosary and says, look, through prayer, through ministry, as well as through other means, God can bring us into that place of purity and chastity. And and not just chastity as a kind of lack of sex <laughs> or, or mm-hmm. purity as this kind of pious and watered-down kind of religion which doesn't really ever mm-hmm. have any fun. But we're talking about a kind of life which is full and abundant and full of God's grace and, and Christ's love. Is that also what you're, you're trying to say? Oh, very much so. And that's one message that you'll find in both my books, both The Thrill of the Chase and My Peace I Give You, that chastity is not primarily a negative. Chastity is a positive. It's a virtue. And virtues are never negative. Right. Virtues are our powers. They enable us to do something we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And chastity, as uh, a friend of mine, um, a Catholic University doctoral student, uh, Pork Mayer, uh, puts it, chastity is the virtue that enables us to love fully and appropriately in each relationship, according to the kind of relationship. So if I'm unmarried, then then uh, chastity will not include sexual contact, whereas in marriage, sexual union, the marital act, is part of marital chastity, but also part of it is, is faithfulness and yes. uh, really seeing your beloved as a fellow child of God. And likewise, for me, chastity means loving fully in every relationship in the appropriate way. So it means loving fully as a daughter, loving fully as a sister, loving fully as a friend, and really thinking, how can I love this stranger on the street in the fullest and most appropriate way? Then chastity, seen in that way, isn't boring, it isn't sterile. It becomes an adventure because it means always stepping out and trying to learn to love in ways that are more like Christ and beyond what I would have thought myself capable of. I'm glad you clarified that for us and and reminding our listeners that chastity and celibacy are not the same thing. Celibacy is the vow which 
a religious person takes to not be married and, and not to engage in, in sexual relations. All Christians, however, are called to chastity. And chastity is another word for faithfulness to the obligations and the rules that the Christian faith has established for sexual relationships. And therefore, chastity for a single person means that they are not engaged in sexual activity. Chastity for a married person means they limit their sexual relations, of course, to their spouse. I'm intrigued by what you said about chastity being a way of living out the Christian adventure and it not being a negative thing but a positive virtue. I sometimes think of it like trying to play the piano. You know, it might be fun to sit down at the piano and play it with your elbows and your fists and make a a huge racket. It might even be fun to play chopsticks with two fingers, you know, and and that sort of level of playing the piano. But to really play the piano with great freedom and grace and beauty – You've got to do your scales. You've got to learn to read music. You've got to go to piano lessons. You've got to practice so that that fullness of your talent and ability and the beauty of the music can can flourish. And chastity is a bit like that. It's a, it's a channeling and a restriction of physical and human love so that the fullness of human love can flourish. For any great thing to be accomplished requires discipline and for it to be channeled and disciplined. And that's chastity for the Christian life or the spiritual life. Oh, yes. That goes back to what you said about being countercultural. I invite listeners, if they're interested more in this theme of chastity and the counterculture, to read Pope Francis' address to volunteers at World Youth Day, uh, because in that address to World Youth Day volunteers, Pope Francis spoke about vocation, and he spoke about those who seek and find and say yes to a vocation as being the true counterculture because they are rebelling against a culture that says that that they're not capable of making a lifetime commitment. Mm -hmm. This is More Christianity. You're listening to Father Dwight Longenecker, your host, and his guest today, Dawn Eden, the author of The Thrill of the Chaste and My Peace I Give You. Dawn, thank you for being our guest today. We've had a fantastic discussion about chastity. I want to remind our listeners that uh, Dawn's also going to be interviewed by the Sunday New York Times, and that uh, magazine article will be available online. Just go and do a search for Dawn Eden to chase up her books. Follow her blog also. It's called The Feast of Eden, and be in touch with her, and make sure you pick up her books, which are so life-changing. Dawn Eden, thank you for being our guest today. Thanks so much, Father. Have you read my book, Catholicism, Pure and Simple? My friend Joseph Pierce has said this book does for Catholicism what C.S. Lewis did for mere Christianity. What I've tried to do in Catholicism, Pure and Simple, is write an introduction to the Catholic faith, beginning with arguments for God and moving right through to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Church, the sacraments, and to write this in a way which is free of theological jargon and ecclesiastical jargon and footnotes and references to academic books so that anybody can pick it up and have a refresher in their Catholic faith And share the book also with others who need to realize the arguments for God and the arguments for the truth of the Catholic faith. So if you'd like to learn more about Catholicism, pure and simple, you can look for it on my website, DwightLongenecker.com. Just go there, click through, and you can buy a hard copy. And also it's available as an e-book. 